It's not like being in. So thank you for being here. We appreciate it so very much. No children activities today, uh, but uh, we're going to have just a great message by Brother Larry Smith in a few minutes. In 1964, uh, I had the privilege of going to Nicaragua. Nicaragua is a central, in fact, it's the largest Central American uh, country. And so Carol's dad, myself, Brother Holder, myself, we hopped the plane and took off to Nicaragua. The beginning of that ministry is, is a miracle itself. I won't go into it. I don't have time. But it was amazing what uh, was going on there in Bluefields. Now, when you fly into Nicaragua, you fly into Managua, the capital, and then you get on a plane and go to the East Coast, where the Larry's been, uh, to the East Coast, where the city of Bluefields is. And it was, it was interesting. At that time, Pastor Wine, which has uh, passed away since then, but he started that ministry there in Nicaragua, and he has a big tabernacle there in the city of Bluefields on the east side of the country of Nicaragua. And it was interesting to see the people just gathering and gathering and coming from all over Nicaragua to be in that meeting. Uh, a lot of times they travel for days. In fact, when we went back again, uh, we had people to travel for days just to be in the service but one of the things I noticed back in 1964 was the people's giving. Now, the Cordoba today, it's equal to the American dollar 0.028. So the Cordoba, that is the currency for Nicaragua, is, is so low. But those people worked very hard. And they were the givingest people. They would bring their money and bring their money uh, out of their hard work, and they love giving. And I watched Brother Wine. Of course, he played the organ, and he'd get up when they're in the uh, offertory and play that organ. And it was just a wonderful time of worship. And that's what giving is all about, is worship. Well, since then, 1964, and even before then, uh, we have been the major contribution to the ministry there in Nicaragua. And now we have over, I think we have about 13 churches on the east side uh, and, and the villages and the cities or the towns on the east side of Nicaragua. But it's because people give. And <clears throat> I want to thank you because this is a giving church. I really do. I appreciate the giving during the time we're out and, and the method that you give is, of course, different. But uh, we appreciate your love to this church. The ushers are going to come and we're going to love the Lord with our, our financial support. And so the ushers are going to come. And, uh, and uh, the ushers are what? Oh. <laughs> the ushers are not going to. Somebody inform the pastor that the ushers are not going to come. <laughs> Good habits and sometimes bad habits are hard to break. <laughs> The ushers are not coming. The offering course are in the foyer. Thank you, Neil, for letting me know it and trying to let me know it before I embarrass myself totally. Uh, the offering plates are in the foyer, and so we are going to be able to give that way. And many of you have already given, and we thank you again. Let us bow our heads. Father, we love you. We thank you for your, your love to us. Lord, it's important that we do love you with our giving. No matter, dear God, if... Uh, if it's small or large. I'm reminded, dear God, of Jesus when he watched the widow woman that gave the might, and yet he said she's given more than them all. God, I'm so thankful, dear God, that you look at the heart more than you look at the gift itself. But Lord, we give to you today. We love you with our giving. Bless those, dear God, that send their money through uh, the means that we have available and also put their money in the offering plate. We ask you to bless the gift and the giver. God, thank you for Brother Larry as he comes to break the bread of life in Christ's name. And everybody says, thank you. Good morning. Before I get started this morning, I want to ask a quick question before you have a chance to look at your outline too much. We just sang glorify thy name in all the earth. 
If I were to ask you today by show of hands, if I were to say, would you like to see God glorify his name this week in the earth? Raise your hands. You would like to see God glorify his name in the earth this week. Good. I want you to remember that as we get down near the end of our, our, our message this morning. Uh, it is so good to be back in the house of the Lord, uh, like Brother Dan, Brother Don, Brother Pastor Don, I'm sorry. We, uh, Tammy and I, we love to go to church, and so typically when our church is closed, we go somewhere else. And what I will tell you, hardly ever a time, really none, that we don't leave another church <clears throat> that we're not thankful for Bethel. Not that it wasn't a good church, but we're, we're thankful for our people. And I tell you what else we're thankful for. Tammy will say it every time. We're thankful, Brother Matt, for our praise team here. We really are. We're very blessed in our praise and worship in this because, and we, we, we've been to smaller churches and we've been to larger churches. And the larger churches, we went to uh, Cross Assembly over in Raleigh uh, last week. They did a send-off for Colin and Madison. You know, my youngest son's a missionary. He heads out Wednesday for uh, a location in Africa for two years. So pray for his mom and daddy this Wednesday. Airport day is always very difficult. And we were hoping to get them in here one more time as well. But we have a video we'll be showing, not today, but at some point. But we're proud of them. We love them. But that's still, I still remember that little baby boy. That little boy that I followed around and watched him wrestling to see him get on an airplane and he's going to go to a strange land for two years, but it makes me proud to know that he's going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to an unreached people group. So, but, but remember us, but we went there and it's a large church, a lot of people, but the quality of the worship isn't about the number of people. It's about the heart of the worshipers and it's about the heart of the people who are leading us into worship. And we've got just a, a, a great team here, and I appreciate uh, them so much. And so, but it's good, it's good to be back at, at Bethel, and I'm, I'm glad to be here this morning. And I'm going to speak for a little bit on the glory of God. Um, that's a big topic. And if I was to go around this church right now and ask everyone in here to say to me, and I would say to you, what is the glory of God? Now, I just said, how many of you want to see it? You raised your hand. But if I were to say, what is it? How would you define it? Now, when I'll be honest, when I think about that, the word picture I kind of get in my head when I begin to think about the glory of God is I, I kind of see, we say, the Bible tells us that we're made in God's own image. And I get a, a, a picture in my head of a, maybe someone shaped somewhat like a, a human, but with glorious light. The Bible says by, the, that God is light and we can't approach him because of his holiness and all those things. And that's kind of an image I get of God when I think about the glory of God. And... Um, Hayden attends a liturgical church. We call it a high church, and some of the Catholic churches are like that, and you may have seen this before, but they'll show images oftentimes when there's a picture of Jesus. It'll have kind of that halo-looking thing over his head. Y'all seen those before? Yeah. And I think that's to show his deity or maybe the glory, but we're not really 100% sure what that is. And we say things like, and we all raised our hands, I want to see the glory of God. Well, you know, even Moses wanted to see that. In Exodus 33 and 18, there's an exchange between God and Moses. And he's going to be leading the people out of Mount Sinai. And Moses says, look, if, if you don't go with me, and this is my prayer, God, if you don't go with me, then don't send me. And they have an exchange back and forth. And God says, hey, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to do this thing you ask. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to put my name with these people. And then Moses, just in the middle of that conversation, says, God, show me your glory. And I've said that before. God, show us your glory. I, in my prayer time before, I said, God, if you would just give this nation, this world, a nanosecond glimpse of your glory, people all over the world would fall on their face and repent. But Moses wanted to see that, but, but God said to him, you can't see that, Moses. But what I'll do is that you're on a mountain. I'm going to put you in a cleft of a rock, and I'm going to put my hand. These are all metaphors. I'll put my hand over you, Moses, and I'm going to pass by. And when I pass by, I'll let you see my back because you can't see my glory because no one can see me and live. That's how holy he is. But yet we ask to see the glory of God. We really don't know, but I will tell you, one of my favorite pastors that I like to listen to is Tony Evans. How many of you know Dr. Tony Evans? Man, I, the guy's got more illustrations. Love to hear him preach. I was a little jealous. I saw a couple years ago that the um, pastor was at a meeting at the Dallas office for the fellowship and Tony Evans came in and actually spoke to him I was a little jealous that I didn't get to go there because I'd love to meet him and but on my bucket list a little bit is to go to the area of Dallas Texas that's where his church is and first brother Matt watch America's team the Dallas Cowboys play football and um if Eagles guy 
And, uh, but then go to Tony Evans' church and, and hear him preach. But I get to listen to him on Wednesday nights. He comes on a radio station every night at 8 o'clock that I like to listen to a lot where pastors preach. And um, I was listening to him one Wednesday night a couple months ago, and as he described the glory of God like this. He just said it is simply God on display. So whenever you read the Scripture, when I read Scriptures today, and I may interchange that statement a few times where you hear the glory, I may say God on display. It is God putting Himself on display. And so I began to study that. That dropped into my spirit on a Wednesday night riding home, and I said, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to get my Scriptures out. I'm going to study that a little bit, and I did. And that's what prompted me to, to share with you this morning, the glory of God and God on display. And what I found as I studied the Scriptures is there's three places. Now, the, the glory of God is mentioned many times throughout the Scripture. But there are three distinct areas where God is on display and the Scriptures to speak um, specifically to it. God is on display in His creation. God is on display in His Son. And God is on or wants to be on display in His church. And not this building, but in His people. And we'll talk about that as we'll go through it. First, God on display in the creation. Psalm 19 and 1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. There is no way, church, that you can go and look up at the sun, the moon, and the stars, and I know you've done it before, or a glorious sunset, or even just a hummingbird that I like to see, or a little hummingbird feeder, and not know that there at God, the glory of God is displayed in that. It is majestic. There is a, um, there are some glorious sunsets down where we like to go to the beach. But a couple years ago, there was one like I've never seen before, and I haven't seen one since. The, the sky was literally on fire. And it's, and it's best when there's big puffy clouds and the, they just glow. And the clouds were on fire. I mean, literally, it looked like the sky was on fire. To the point that I wasn't the only one who noticed it. We were riding down the road. We literally saw people running across the canal to get over there with cameras and cars were pulling over. And I, I did. I pulled over. I said, i got to pull over. We've got to go stand and look at this and try to get a picture of it. Have you ever taken pictures of those things? It just doesn't do them justice. Something about your eyes. And you know what? I don't think it's your eyes. I think it's something about your soul. That when you see that, you see God. And you know there's a God. And I don't care how much of an atheist you say you are or how much you don't believe. For that moment, you know there's a God. And we ran across there and we were looking at that and I saw people running and I was standing there and I was enjoying the glory of God. God was on display in, the, in His creation and in the heavens. And I just thought about all these people running and I thought, I wonder how many of these people running and take a picture of this know that they can have a personal relationship with the God who created that right there. That He wants to know them. He wants to walk with them and talk with them and be a part of their lives. I don't know, but He was certainly on display and He's on display in his creation. We had the chance, the uh, conference this year for the, for the fellowship was in Arizona. And so we went and, and we were in uh, Scottsdale, but Tammy and I have never been out to that part of the nation, so we went to a little place called Sedona. That's all red rock country down there, but Sedona was a really, really neat town. A lot of hiking trails, but not too intense. I, I like to walk a little bit, but I'm not into hiking. I, I just, I'm just not. But they had some very, very short hiking trails where you could go and see and vast rock formations, and we went up to the airport. We asked some people when we first got there, where's a good place to see the sunset? They said, well, the airport, and it's free. It's a tiny little airport. Well, clearly everybody knows that because every time we'd go up, there's gobs of people. But we would make our way in because you're looking over a vast rock formation and valleys, and we would watch that sunset. And we went up there one day because a storm was coming through, and I wanted to see that storm come through. Somehow it missed us, but just to see the majestic nature of all of that. And I stood there on one of the rock formations, and we did watch the sunset. I should have got my lazy self up early enough to go watch a sunrise, but I didn't, because it would have been glorious to see a sunrise over that. And as I stood there, though, and watched that sunset, and I thought about where the, how the sun rises on the opposite side, the only thing I could think of, and I could, didn't know what verse it was, so I Googled it, and I stood there, and in my spirit... From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Because His creation is praising Him. 
The sunrise is praising him. The sunset is praising him. God is on display in his creation. Well, we went to go to the Grand Canyon. Never been there before. And when you walk up onto the south rim of the Grand Canyon, if you've ever seen it before, once again, it is something majestic about it. When you just see it, you know God created this. But how many of you know we're in a battle for that? You'll see on your outline why creation matters. Because right there at the South Rim and in many of the state parks that we visited out there, they have all these things and it tells you how all these formations were formed over thousands of years or millions of years. And that's what people are taught today. That's what your kids are taught. There's no room. As a matter of fact, we took a Jeep tour in Sedona and we were riding through the rock formations and the guy said, see these rock formations? They formed over millions of years and the first thing that popped in my mind, but I didn't want to get into a debate with this guy. I wanted to enjoy the trip was bend down and say, is there any room that the God of the Bible created that in your mind? Is there any room for that? But see, in his mind, he's telling you, yeah, it took millions of years. Church, the, the creation account matters. It matters. Because at the end of the day, I don't really think it's about that battle, whether it's creation or evolution. That's really not, what, to me, what this is all about. And we're told now more than ever, look, to trust the science, trust the science. I do. I thank God for science. And science and Christianity, now where they conflict, certainly I'm going to trust the Bible. But the more people are honest, they don't conflict that much. A lot of times they can be compatible. Now I trust science, but I trust God more than I do science. I thank God for medical advancement. I'm here to tell you, many of you have experienced if I get sick, my father's dealing with some illness right now. We're going to go to the doctors. I thank God for medical advancement, for the mind he's given man. But I'm not going to, what else I'm going to do is what James says. I'm going to come and I'm going to call on the elders of the church. I'm going to ask them to anoint my head with oil and pray over me and believe that God can heal me. And if he doesn't choose to heal me, he will sustain me and he will keep me through that. And if, whether I get well because God healed me miraculously or whether I get well because he brought me through uh, the gift of medicine, I'm going to glorify his name. I'm not going to go to some doctor and say, I praise you, doctor, I praise medicine, I praise the God of heaven, because I'm a well now. I'm well now. The science and the church does not always have to conflict. How many of you have seen those thank you Jesus signs that are that young boy? And you see them everywhere. Have you seen the newest ones? You look just like them. Thank you, science. You haven't seen them. I'm surprised you haven't seen them. If you go down to some of you, I hate to say this, some of your more liberal neighborhoods, you'll see them everywhere. Thank you, science. Looks just like them. And I think what that person is saying, I don't trust this Jesus stuff y'all are talking about. I trust science. But folks, what that battle is really about is understand this. It's not, I don't think it's really about the idea whether there's a creation or whether there's an evolution. They'll come in and they'll tell you, oh, we've got all this science that proves that this happened millions of years ago. We got carbon-14 dating. You'll hear all these things. But they don't know either. So you at least need to be prepared to stand up for what you believe. You at least need to be prepared to say, and I say that because of the Grand Canyon. Right there at the south rim of the Grand Canyon, it told me how that formed for millions of years. Well, there's a, there's a website in, called Answers in Genesis. And if you're here and you're raising children or grandchildren, you need to sit down and spend a little time in Answers in Genesis. You need to give your children some tools to know that not everything a secular scientist says is necessarily true. They're coming from their standpoint. Thank God for men like Ken Ham and the scientist of the Creation Museum that will give you a different point of view from science. I would encourage you to attend the Creation Museum. Michael Britt is putting together the uh, uh, regional conference this year, and I think in that it's up near where the Creation Museum is. He'll try to get a trip together. I would encourage you to go. I, 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 uh, Tammy and I visited the Creation Museum and the Ark Experience a few years ago. I went to see the Ark Experience, but quite frankly, I got more out of the Creation Museum. Because you go to all these places and you have scientists, smart people tell you, don't believe everything they tell you. And in that answers in Genesis about the Grand Canyon, it's clearly said there's more evidence for a catastrophic flood in that Grand Canyon that caused that 
than this idea that it trickled through millions of years. There's more evidence for that. But here's the problem. Here's the big battle. If they have to concede that, and we should never, this is why we don't concede it. If they have to concede that, what they've conceded is there is a God. He did create all this, and I just might be accountable to him. And that's what the battle is really about. Amen. I started in a book by John, uh, Pastor John MacArthur called The Battle for the Beginning. Why this matters. Why does the creation account a matter? And I just want to read a couple excerpts to you out of this of why this matters. Because when it comes to the creation, the creation of the earth, the creation of mankind, he says this, because if Adam was not the literal ancestor of the entire human race, then the Bible's explanation of how sin entered the world makes no sense. Moreover, if we didn't fall in Adam, we cannot be redeemed in Christ. Because Christ's position as the head of the redeemed race exactly parallels Adam's position as the head of the fallen race. So in an important sense, everything Scripture says about our salvation through Jesus Christ hinges on the literal truth of what Genesis 1 through 3 teaches. This is about the authority of Scripture. And if we concede that, if we can say, well, maybe it just didn't really happen like that, then what makes us say that Jesus was really a Savior, that He really rose again? We never concede what the Scripture tells us. And then lastly, It says, intuition suggests a series of questions to the human mind when we contemplate our origin. Who is in control of the universe? Is there someone who is a sovereign lawgiver? Is there a universal judge? Is there a transcendent moral standard to live by? Is there someone to whom we will be accountable? Will there be a final assessment of how we live our lives? Will there be a final judgment? Put it simply, evolution was invented in order to eliminate the God of Genesis and thereby to oust the lawgiver and obliterate the, the inviolability of his law. Evolution is simply the latest means of our fallen race has divided in order to suppress our innate knowledge and the biblical testimony that there is a God and that we are accountable to him. That's why the battle for the creation account matters, because there is a God. And like I said before, you stand up and you see the wonders of the creation. I think the reason the photograph doesn't do it is we know there is a God and we will be held accountable to him. As a matter of fact, Paul said that in Romans 1, 20, and 21, writing to the church at Rome, a very, a very intelligent area, much like Durham. Very smart, learned people in the area of Rome. And he said this in Romans 1, 20, and 21 in the very first chapter. He said, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And that's what's happened. When, they, when even the people who haven't read the Bible stand and see the creation, they know there's a God, and they know they're accountable to him. But rather than bowing their knee to him, our minds become darkened, and we begin to try to take science and explain it all away, and it never will explain it away because we will be held accountable to him. I like what John Calvin said about it. He said, there is nothing in the ordinary course of nature throughout the whole frame of heaven and earth which does not invite us to the contemplation of God. God has left himself with, God has not left himself without a witness to his glory in the created order. Even people who never read a Bible in their lives know that there is a creator and that they owe him worship and gratitude. This is confirmed by our human experience. This is confirmed by my human experience. There is a God. He did create everything. He is on display in his creation, and I will be accountable to him, and so will you. God is on display in his creation. You know, I want to leave you with this last thought about that before I move on. The, the, you hear so much about, well, we have all these tests that show how old things are. I, I mentioned the carbon-14 dating. I won't go into all that stuff. I don't understand it myself. But, but I read something recently that I found very interesting, and maybe it'll help you. 
So when, when God created this earth and He created everything in it, if God created a tree, fully grown tree at that point, if man came along and dated it, how old would it be? I don't know the answer to that question. But let me give you an example out of the Scriptures. You remember Jesus turned the water into wine? You remember that? Well, particularly back in that time, what made wine better? And even today it's still, but not as much because of the advancement of technology. But what made wine good? Age. Age. Well, in that miracle, when Jesus turned that water into wine, the people were saying, hey, he's let, he saved the best stuff for last. See, they didn't get the wine that, the, the wine that Jesus had turned into wine till later. That came out last. And the people said, usually, usually what happens here is, is they give out the best stuff first. Everybody gets drunk, and then they just bring out the, the, the cheap stuff. Well, in this case, the best stuff was given later. Guess what the best stuff was? The wine that Jesus had changed from water into wine. So those people there, any of the wine connoisseurs there, they would have said, this stuff must have been aged a long time because this is the good stuff. No, no. That stuff was created by the master of the universe, and we don't know what qualities he may decide to put in it and not put in it. And it's simple questions and answers like that that we just need to be prepared to say. We don't have to be scientists, but let's just be prepared to say God is on display in the creation, and we won't surrender the creation account. God is on display in his son. Look at John 14 and 9. This is Jesus. He's talking to Philip. And he's preparing his disciples. He's, he's going to be going away. And he's trying to get them ready. And he says to him, look, if you know me, you know the Father. He's trying to, he's trying to get them prepared. And Philip says this to him. He said, Jesus, show us the Father. Show us the Father. And Jesus said to, this to him. He said, have I been with you so long that you don't know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Jesus came on this earth, lived as a, a God and as man to show us the nature and the attributes of his Father. He came to bring heaven down to earth. He came to put his Father, God of heaven, on display in this earth. And how he lived, how he treated people. Look at the things he did. He healed. He loved people. And, and you know what's interesting? Look who, he, look who he cared for. He didn't come and live amongst the kings and the princes. He didn't come and hang out with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious people who had it all together. He came and hung out with the sinners. He came to bring salvation. Now, he would bring it to the kings and the Pharisees too if they would humble themselves, but they wouldn't. But he came to show the love and the attributes of the God of heaven. He came to usher in the age of grace. We see him first on display in his son at the birth. Luke 2, 8 through 9, very popular Christmas verse. If you've not read it before, if you've ever watched the Charlie Brown Christmas special, you've seen it. And that, that still is a big battle every year, and they ain't taking it down yet. But Linus gets up on the stage, I love it, and he, and he tells the Christmas account out of Luke. And Luke 2, 8 9 said, Now there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord, God on display, shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. God put himself on display at the very birth of his son. And then he's on display in the life of Jesus. John 17, homework. Read John 17 this week. John 17 is a prayer of Jesus. You know what Jesus prays about? The whole chapter is about prayer. He prays first for himself, he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for us. And many of the scriptures that I will reference now will come out of John 17. But in John 17, 4 and 5, he says this, praying to his Father. He says, I have glorified you on the earth. That's what he said, God, I've put you on display. I've done the things you've asked me to do. I have finished the work you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus said, I've done it. Lord, I've put you on display. I've healed. I've forgiven sins. That's what got him in trouble. I've forgiven sins. And now I'm ready. 
1 Peter 4.11 says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified, that God may be put on display through Christ Jesus, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I have on your outline the encounter between Jesus and the adulterous woman. I don't think there's any place that we see the attributes of God any more than we see in that encounter there. This woman, the Bible says she's caught in the very act of adultery. So as I thought through this, I thought, well, did they know this woman was an adulteress? Were they doing surveillance on her or something? I mean, how did you catch her in the act of adultery? But they did. And I can see her, she runs out. Probably don't even have any clothes on. Maybe just grabs a sheet and is running for her very life because the law, the religious right, the religious self-righteous are chasing her. They've got the stones in their hand because the Levitical law said she should die. And by all accounts, she should have. And she's running for her life and these wild-eyed self-righteous guys are chasing her with the rocks because they can't wait to stone her. And maybe at the last minute when she can't run anymore, she falls and she falls directly at the feet of Jesus. And I can see him stepping in front of her and looking at those men. And they're standing there still wide-eyed with the rocks in their hand. And the Bible says he does something interesting. He leans down and begins to write in the, in the sand. And there's all kinds of opinions on what he wrote. We don't know. Did he write how many of them had maybe already been with a woman? Did he write how many of them maybe had thought about it, which Jesus had already said was just as bad as doing it? Is that what he wrote? I don't know. But whatever he wrote made them drop their rocks and go away. And he said, woman, where are you, where are you, where are you condemners? She said, I don't have any. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. What Jesus did right there, he fulfilled, he fulfilled that law requirement. He fulfilled it. And then he said to her, he didn't give her a pass. He didn't say, okay, go and keep living like you've been living. He said, go and stop this now because you've been forgiven. I can't think of a place where Jesus showed the life and the attributes and the love of his father other than in one place, which is next where he put his father on display is at the cross. At the cross. <clears throat> John 17 and 1, Jesus praying again said this, Jesus spoke these words. He lifted his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. The hour has come was his, was his death. Put your son on display that your son may put you on display. When he hung on that cross, I should have been on that cross. You should have been on that cross. But he hung on that cross and he took my sin. He took God's wrath. He paid the penalty that I deserve. Just like with that adulterous woman, he fulfilled the law that I was under and you were under. And when he said it's finished, it was finished. Yeah. Now everything that we need for salvation is available to us. And God was on display at the cross like never before in his son. God was on display in the creation. God is on display in his son. God's on display in us. I'm afraid what has happened particularly to the Western church, the Western American church, is we, just like we sang, I want to see, you know, glorify thy name in the earth. I asked you to raise your hands and I said, look, if you want to see God, would you like to see God on display this week? And a lot of you raised your hand. And I think too many times, particularly in the Pentecostal church, we, when, when we say that, God, glorify their name on the earth or show your glory, what we want, we want to come in and we want to see God do signs and wonders and miracles and all those things. And he's going to again. He's going to again. But I'm going to tell you something, churches. I studied this and I studied the scriptures. I'm going to tell you where he wants to be on display. I'm going to tell you where he wants his glory to shine. It's in his church. Yeah. In his people. And there's clear scriptures to show it. First, he want, look, look, at, look, look at God on display in us. Look at John 17 and 10. He said this to his father. He said, and all, are, all mine are yours. All mine are yours. And all yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. That's how he's glorified today. That's how he's put on display. He shows himself. He glorifies himself in creation. He has glorified himself in, in his son. Now he is to be glorified in his people. That's where he is to be glorified. 
And number one, we show the glory of God in our bodies. Look at 1 Corinthians 6 and 20. Now, this particular verse, Paul writing to the church at Corinth. Corinth was a church eat up with problems. It had all kinds, the, the world had infected the church. Does that sound familiar? Sexual immorality was in the church. They were suing each other. There was divisions in the church. The church was a mess, and Paul wrote a letter. And at the end of chapter 6, he had dealt mostly with the sexual immorality that, had in, that had, the church had been dealing with. And I'm here to tell you that's still the biggest problem, most for the most part, in the churches today. It is a problem. And there's a cultural battle is roaming all around it. Everything you see today is about this issue in some way. Whether it's abortion, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's transgenderism, it all comes back down to who defines these things. Does the God of heaven, does the Bible, or does man? And after he goes through that and he challenges the church, that's when he says this. He says, for you, you don't live that way. Why? Because you were bought with a price. Therefore, do what? Glorify God in your body. Put God on display in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's how we glorify him. today. That's how he's glorified in the earth. It should be quite easy, really, for the true follower of Christ today to do that. Because of the mess in the world. I'm going, to give a, I'm going to give a couple personal examples here out of our church. I think we give, we give sermon illustrations sometimes and things out there, but I thank God we have a church that actually lives this out and does this. I asked Brother Dan if it was okay. He shared this before. He said it was. It's nothing to be ashamed of, quite frankly. I think it's something to be proud of. But their daughter, Marta, as a younger girl years ago, she got pregnant out of wedlock. Is that a sin? Yep. Do Christians get caught up in sin sometimes? Yep. Does God forgive it? Yes, he does. Absolutely. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Well, they come together as a family. What would the world have said to them? Just go abort it. Just, just get rid of it. No problem. That's, that's, how, that's how you deal with it. But not for us, because we were bought with a price. And that family came together, and Sister Marta came up before the church that they were in at that point. And they confessed and then she had a beautiful little girl named Isabel who's been come up in this church, and most of you know her, and she's blessed this church. She's blessed me. And now she's gone on. She's in college. She's going to bless other people. And guess what? God has been on display in the whole situation. Yeah. Young people today, if you're here and you're young, you want to put God on display? You be, nobody's married anymore. We're all worried about the homosexual movement. Nobody's married anymore. Let them hear you say, listen, we're not coming together. We're not living together. We're going to try to keep ourselves pure. People are going to look at you like you got a third eye. Why? Because we, we want to put God on display. We want, to, we want to glorify God. That's what Paul was saying. Glorify God in our bodies. I have not seen God on display anymore at a wedding than I was recently at the wedding of Jonathan Fisher. I mean, he stood there now, look, when he was first standing facing Carolyn, I will tell you, he was all googly-eyed. Us men always are, you know. But for a minute, the, the, the pastor had him turn and face the crowd, and they had a, a worship song going. And I do believe for a minute, minute as he held her, her hand and he lifted his other hand, that he may not even known she was there because he was worshiping the God of heaven. And there was a lot of people in that wedding, especially after talking to Colin. He knew a lot of people there. They, they weren't believers, but do you think God was glorified at that moment? Do you think he was put on display in his people? Absolutely he was. He was glorified in that moment. I'm going to give you a real simple way to glorify God. And it's going to sound so simple. And I, I would imagine most of you here do it. How many of you like to eat out? I used to love to eat out. I don't like it so much because now you go and they don't have no help. And I, I just feel sorry for the restaurants and I get irritated. I'm not, not a, a real patient person, and I don't want to get irritated at the people who are still working. And so, but I like to go out and eat. But the next time you go out and eat, I want you to look around when the food arrives. I want you to see how many people bow their head and say grace. I know it sounds simple. Very, very few. And most of them, hair is gray or grayer than mine. Most of them are older. And you might say, well, Larry, what's the big deal? Well, Jesus asked grace, so I would think that makes it a pretty big deal. But also, I just, it says to me when I see it, that person has enough of a relationship with God just to take a moment. 
I mean, you see the food hit. I've seen people, a lot of them, been with them. They say they're Christians as soon as the, the food or plate don't even hardly hit the table good, and they're gobbling it up. And I'll say, can we ask to bless them? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, but you don't see it. You don't see it. It's a simple way. I, uh, we were at, we were at a, a restaurant in Hillsborough a couple years ago called um, the House of Gatewood. Good restaurant. I heard it's just carry out only right now or something because of the staffing, but it's in Hillsborough. And Tammy and I were in there eating, and this young couple come in, good-looking young couple, and sat down, and I, they were directly in eye shot of me, and, and so I could see them. And it just blessed me because when their food sat down, that young man, particularly in that age group, you just don't see it. He took her by the hand, and they bowed their head, and for a moment they said grace. Now, I don't know who else said it, saw it. I know I saw it. But in that moment, in my mind, God was on display. Yeah. I saw a young man and a young woman that said, you know what, we have enough of a relationship with this God. And you can say, well, you don't even know who he's praying to him. And I don't. But I think I know. We know, have enough of a relationship that we're going to take a minute and we say, God, thank you for what you provided for us. How we live today matters, folks. You want to put God on display? I ask you, how many of you wanted to put God on display? Everybody raise their hand. Everybody raise their hand. Don't, don't, I'm not asking you to, but many of you did. Many of you did. This is how you do it. You want to see them on display this week? This is how you do it. Next, we show the glory of God and how we treat each other. In that same prayer in, in, in 17 and 22, Jesus said this to his Father, And the glory which you've given me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. And we're divided in a church. I, I don't, I, when I say that, I don't say that so much over Bethel. We have differences here in Bethel. But for the most part, I feel like that we do as the Apostle Paul said, and we give preference one to another. I do. I really do. We come together many times when we have our board meetings and we share our opinions and things, but, but we don't get nasty. Nothing says that we have to agree on everything, particularly in the minor points of doctrine or certain things. Now, there's certain things we do, you have to agree on if you're going to be a member or certainly not even leadership in here. But the church as a whole is so divided, divided on race, divided on denomination. Now what are we divided on? We're divided on mask and not wearing a mask, vaccinated, not vaccinated, and people are just coming into it and ripping each other apart, and the world is just sitting there watching it. But Jesus said he wants us to be one. He wants us to be unified under him. Doesn't mean we can't have serious concerns about some of the things going on, I do. But as I've worked through it and tried to think about it, I remember the words of Jesus when they tried to trick him about the tax. He said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And what I ask myself every time when I get in, and I'm involved in the political climate a little bit over in Orange County, is how much of my spiritual energy, physical energy, and emotional energy am I, and I'm, am I giving through the things of the world and to the things of God? And if they're not at least 50-50, and sometimes they're not, there's a problem. Now, I've said this before. I preached one time before about this when all this stuff was going on. If the people who were so concerned about the political stuff had half that fervor for the things of God, we could change the world. And that's just a fact. But I also do thank, pe thank people who are involved in the things and concerned about what's going on in our nation. I am. About the rights that we seem to be losing. I am about the socialism that seems to be creeping in. I am. But God help me to be as concerned about the people who are lost and dying and going to hell because none, the, 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 who's president of the United States at that point is not going to matter when eternity hits. But let's show God's glory in how we treat each other. And lastly, we show the glory of God in the works that we do. Jesus, at Sermon on the Mount, he said this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify, put, your God, on, put, put God on display in heaven. And Peter, in 2 Peter 2.12, said, Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, that they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify, put God on display in the day of visitation. When I read this, every time I read these particular verses, the first person who comes to my mind is Franklin Graham. The world at large hates him. Some preachers think he's too political. I get it. 
But for the most part, most of you know I volunteer with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. But for the most part, the things he speaks on are biblical issues. And I'm glad we have someone on the national stage that will speak to biblical issues. That will stand up and look at God's people and say, you should vote biblical issues. And they get very angry at him. And I, okay. But here's what they can't do. When there's a natural disaster somewhere, whether it's over in another country or whether it's right here in the United States, then big airplanes come out of Samaritan's Purse loaded with supplies and they come in and they lay that stuff down and they set up medical hospitals and they're feeding people and they're helping people and they can't say one word about it. They come in and in big buses that say serving in Jesus' name. They don't like it, but those good works, I just can't get over, I can't say anything about those good works. And we're all called to good works. Every one of us. We should be doing some type of work. And works run the gamut. Being here at church on Sunday is a work. Giving of your time and talents is a work. Giving of your money is a work. Brother David feeds so many underneath a bridge, and many of you volunteer. That's a work. People see you do those things, and they're like, why do you do this? You don't have to answer it. They know why. If they know, why, if they know you're a follower of Christ, they know why. And God's glorified. And God's put on display. God is on display in His creation. He has on His display in His Son. You want, to put, you want to see God on display? You want to see the glory of God this week? Live it out in your body. Let's treat our brothers and sisters with kindness and respect, even when we disagree. And let's get busy. Let's get busy for the kingdom of God. And God Himself will be on display. And that's where He wants to be on display. He's going to show Himself strong again. Brother Matt and the team, if you'll come forward. So let me tell you this, church. There's times I want to see him on display, too. I get so tired of this stuff that I, I'm like, I don't remember if it was James and John. I don't remember which one. I didn't study it that close. But I'm, I'm like them sometimes, and I want to say, Lord, just call down the fire from heaven and get rid of these people. But I would have been one of those people at one time. So I'm glad he ain't done that yet. But listen. The disciples were all worried about that at one time. And Jesus told them this. He said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, things are going to get rough. I think we as Christians think that we're just going to be pulled out of here before things... I have a feeling things are going to get a whole lot worse before they get better. I hope there's a revival. Because I don't think there's one but two things going to change the trajectory of this nation. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. Or a massive revival. I hope it's a massive revival. But I'm not real optimistic about that yet. But Jesus said things are going to get real bad at some point. And He was telling His disciples about it. He said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. He's going to be on display again, make no doubt about it. He was on display at that cross. He's going to be on display again, but it's going to be different this time. Then, say then. Yeah. Say it loud. Then, yeah. the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Yeah. And all the tribes of the, he of the earth, they're going to mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He's going to be on display again. Make no doubt about it. But what He's called us to do is to go out there and put Him on display now to love like He did, to treat people like He did, to share the gospel like He did, because He's got the ending. Don't worry. He's going to take care of all this stuff because He's coming in the clouds again. And when He comes this time, He's coming with power and great glory. And when that happens in the book of Philippians, it says this is what's going to happen then. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's coming back, church. He's going to be on display. But for us today, let's, let's go out this week and let us put him on display. Brother Matt, they're going to sing uh, the days of Elijah. I, I, um, I'm going to ask as, as he begins to sing, I won't, let's, let us try to get kind of close to the altar. If you want to put your mask on, if you don't, come up and just try to separate yourself a little bit. 
Because what I told Brother Matt, what, when I heard him singing this song when I was at the back before service started, there's a scripture that says that God gives us, to, we're to put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. There's a spirit of heaviness in our, it's been in our church this last few weeks. We as the leadership of the church, we had several get COVID. We've been concerned about you. We've been praying for you. I went to Christian Assembly, and they've got a member of their church who, last report, I hadn't gotten an update lately, was on a ventilator. They really didn't think she was going to make it. And as leadership in our church, when we heard people in our church got COVID, we were concerned about that because that's going to rock the church a little bit. We love you. And so we thank God and we rejoice. We had several here get it, but God kept them. Most everybody's recovered, and we praise God for that. But it gives us a spirit of heaviness. If you watch the news at all, you're going to have a spirit of heaviness. There's roars and rumors of wars and everything that's going on. We're going to put on a garment of praise this morning for it. So I want you to come up and gather, and as they sing this song, I just want you to praise. I just want you to worship the Lord. I want you to make a commitment to glorify Him this week. Now let's just spend some time putting on a garment of praise. Let's listen to the words of the song and sing it and praise, if you will. Let's come forward and praise.